Hey, Josie. Uh, Josie, exactly. Yeah, exactly. absolutely, Mr. Bean. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Bean, the four-dimensional, four, four dimensional bean. Um, so we had, um, yeah, we had a chat about object-oriented programming. And, um, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, we um, what we actually discussed was almost like hexag hexagonal architecture, right? This is the, the, the term. This that this this is kind of the, the yes this is what is described in uh um what uh, Alistair Cogburn describes as a hexagonal architecture or also sometimes port adapters architecture yeah or um his name uh, Bob Martin also wrote a book called Clean Architecture I think this is the last book that was written in this series of uh, mm -hmm. attempts to to to, mm -hmm. to bring principles to how you should organize the architecture really when they when, when they're talking about architecture it's merely how how can you organize your modules how can you organize the communication between them mm -hmm. and uh, how you can organize the dependency between them that is mm -hmm. what module should depend on on what module you see mm -hmm. uh, the 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 the, the the backstage principle would be that, of course, you don't want to, your application to depend on the fact that you are going to use MySQL to store your data, for instance. That would be really a, a mistake to do that. Uh, you, you don't want your business code, the, the core of your the implementation of your business logic, to depend on the on implementation details, like the fact that you're using JAXRS for your REST services or the fact that you're using Hibernate to communicate with your database okay. and this kind of thing. From the puristic point of view, we mistake. The question is, you know, can we live with mistakes or not? So this is this is the this is the uh, question. And I have or I had already I had already a fight. You know, Yaroslav Tulach, mm -hmm. the guy. So um, we had very similar conversation, like with you. But uh, he builds NetBeans, right? So um, and he was very strict about interfaces. And I always told him, uh, I don't care about your interfaces. I don't have such problems in my business applications. And and this was like, you know, it was uh, our conversation went, you know, almost south. But then I said, okay, look, um, you're right. I, I mean, you have completely different different requirements than in my business applications. I have, for instance, if 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 I'm in in an Oracle shop, right, and I need some Oracle features, I would absolutely use the Oracle features. Actually, in, in one project, we need uh, the um, Golden Gate features, which were not available. You know, uh, I mean, we need that needed them. So okay, then we just use it. So we even dropped you know the JDBC. I think we used some Oracle classes directly, and it worked, and I was happy. So of course. We've wrapped this with an interface with a static method because it's an easier, but it will be a class. But um, we didn't even try to hide, you know, the uh, the fact that we use the Golden Gate feature from Oracle. Why not? Because uh, there, there is no such a thing in MySQL, for instance, right? So if we migrate from Oracle to something different, I mean, we will have to rewrite the application anyway because you know the the different thing will 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 come with complete different behavior. And this, I think, in the entire decoupling story, what we should also consider, that, that we can, you know, leak abstractions, right? So th this is what we should uh, yeah. consider because over time, sometimes the entire paradigm, I don't even know how to call it, so changes that instead, instead of, you know, reading, let's say, a result set, we get a JSON back, right? So result mm -hmm. set is more or less a reference and JSON is a value. So if, if, it, if it changes completely, then all whatever we did, all the abstractions are are actually no more valid. But um, 
this was just a. I tried to recap the the conversations. So we have the interfaces surrounding our domain model, domain models in the middle. And what I tried to find last time, or uh, just explained what we did is that uh, polymorphism with object is some, sometimes great. And if you compi- combine it with transparent persistence, what it means is that you get domain objects which are attached to the, to the store. You can actually have uh, a nice experience if you know what you are doing, but you have to really know what you are doing because you have to be a domain expert. Then, And uh, you should also write you know, clean code. I mean, code where if you look at the code, you know what happens from business perspective and don't care too much about you know funky technology. So the idea would be you are just working with domain objects and the next step would be even kind of DSL, right? So if you, if you, you could go a step further and say, okay, I could create with a builder pattern, you know, I can, for instance, create nicer domain object graphs. So this could work, but um, what I, I don't like even to, you know, to promote this because this works great for very specific applications. And I see less and less such applications, you know, in the, in, 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 in the wild. What usually happens, and this is where, what I would like to start to talk about data-oriented programming is that, um, we get from an external service, in my case, almost always is a Microsoft RS, uh, RS client or uh, more often even now is HTTP 11 client because it's lightweight enough. So it's very simple, you know, with two liners to, to get the, the, the string back. And you mm-hmm. get a JSON object and it is usually without any inheritance. I would say it is uncommon. I cannot remember in recent years in, in such an architecture that we inherited anything. It was just, you know, plain uh, Java objects and now our Java records. Mm-hmm. Uh, inheritance is very rare, I have to say. So, and now the question is, you know, how to be efficient in such rec- um, environment? And I would say data, I didn't, I didn't even knew that data-oriented programming is a thing, but what I did in JavaScript all the time, I destructured directly the JSON objects so what mm-hmm. I got, what I got back, I said, okay, nice. I have fifty attributes, but I'm also only interested in three. So I picked the three attributes and did something with them. This was an absolute natural approach. And if we take a look at Java records and instance of patterns and switch um, uh, patterns with the expressions, we are almost there with Java, right? We can have, a, I think, you're not not far away to have similar experience with Java. So yeah, exactly. The, the the fact is, I mean. The, the fact that your your object model is built on inheritance it, it's not really uh, it's not really the concern of, of the of the business processes i mean it, it's very sometimes it happens and it's probably not the the, the best experiences i had when when working on the business application you see but when you're you're talking to a, a business expert he will tell you okay we, we got this this object suppose it's a contract object and uh, it, that person is not talking about objects. We have a contract, and this contract is carrying this, this, and this information. All right, describes like four or five, and then with this information, we're going to do to to conduct this process to to to, to transform this contract into a non-signed contract to a signed contract, for instance. And we, is this this person is describing you the, the the process of signing a contract, but then when you Take all these processes that that could be specified by different people. By the way, uh, usually it's merged into oh, we have a contract, so we are going to make one contract object. All right, stuff all the state that was described by these different people in this object, and 
because for some reason, oh yes, but between the contract object and the, the product object, we have these fields that are in common, so we are going to, 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 to factor them out in a subclass, abstract class, I don't know, you see, and, and you end up having this kind of inheritance stuff because the, the underlying assumption is that your code will be simpler if you don't repeat the same information in different objects, mm-hmm. all right? Which is a technical point of view of thing, a, 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 a technical point of view about about what what these objects are representing uh, in, in the real world, because it's not because a, a field or let's say a, an element of state of of, uh, of two of these contracts and products, for instance, are called the same and they they look the same from the from the technical point of view, that they will evolve in the same way in, in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I'm failing to find an example in my mind. Maybe, maybe it will come later. But suppose that you have the same elements of state specified in two different ways, and for technical reasons, you say, okay, that's actually the same, the same field in two different classes. So I'm going to create an abstract class and mm-hmm. put this field once in my model instead of having uh, having it twice. This, this was discussion from and, last time. Last time, so I have two ex- two examples. Maybe they fit well. The one was yeah. with the, you know functional network. So there, there was mm-hmm. like signal carrier, and the signal carrier was oh, the yeah, abstract class, yeah. and the signal carrier mm-hmm. had, uh, you know, uh, attributes or qualities like you know latency or something like this, and this was common to all yeah. signal carriers. So, um, mm-hmm. and the same was too was a transportation system. Um, I don't know mm-hmm. how we how we call it, you know, the link between cities, maybe uh, not a street, but something more, you know, <laughs> um, like a road something like something. a street, let's say connection, <laughs> right? Connection between cities. Okay. And and the connection that also uh, like uh, you know average speed and average speed was is common, you know, for everything because you know on, on with a bicycle average speed is maybe thirty uh, uh, kilometer per hours, you know, and uh, and 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 the highway is two hundred, or mm-hmm. or in yeah. in France uh, eighty. Uh, yeah, well, that's a discussion for. <laughs> <laughs> How fast can you go on a French uh, highways? Uh, highways one hundred and thirty. Yeah, very and, reasonable. Uh, we have two 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 levels of speed limit one hundred and thirty and uh, one hundred and ten. Mm-hmm. And uh, if it's not a highway, if it's not a motorway, if it's a regular mm-hmm. road, it depends on uh, where you are in France. It could be between eighty and ninety. Okay. And we are not talking miles per hour, right? For kilometers per hour, yeah. And this is a yeah, constant then in, uh, in, in, in the French. So you have somewhere, you know, an, an interface. Nin- yeah. 90 miles per hour would be, would be really fast. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you see, if you, if, you don't, if you have these two pieces of state that are actually evolving in different ways, in, in a, like in, in three years, you, you realize that actually what, you, what was factored out were actually two, two things that looked similar, but that were not quite the same. Uh, and now, now you have you have a big problem because you have an element of state that is stored once in your in your in your um, object model, and, and you will need to split that. Uh, and to do that, to do that is actually very hard because you're going to continue living with the old version of that that element of state. And in the future, you have something that will live along with it that will need the you will need to take into account these new ways of this new way of implementing it, and, uh, and not the previous one. And then you you are just too it. pessimistic because I think if you know what they are doing, you could be very efficient with object-oriented programming. But we have less and less opportunity to do it right because what you are assuming with the contracts that you can con- also in charge of the contracts. What happens to me mm-hmm. often 
we have to access, you know, an external system and we get some data out and it is not nice what we get out. And then we try, you know, try to uh, uh, de it to a JSON and then pick, you know, whatever interests us and make something reasonable. So I'm yeah. assuming, you know, the external systems, I always have, unfortunately, external systems, they they give me data and which is maybe even good, but it doesn't fit my domain model. This is the, the bounded context you referred the last time. Yeah. I always have to retransform the thing and doing this with objects is really bad. So this is what I really hated. So this is what was maybe mm-hmm. completely misunderstood in all enterprise projects because what people did, they mapped the first one to an object, then created a mapper and the other one from the perspective of the other objects. But I was in projects, okay, the other one is just, you know, the data layer. And we cannot mm-hmm. be depending on the data layer. So they mapped it once. And then the, the, the mapped is the second time, you know, not to expose the data layer. So we get a client object. So I was in project with that client object, you know, the, the our data object and the foreign data object. And there are two m- mapping layers. And the Python and JavaScript people look at us like, you are all crazy. You are mapping the entire time. Where is the business logic, right? So, and this is what I'm talking about is this complete misunderstanding of object-oriented programming, which costs a huge, huge efforts, actually, to, to, to maintain that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's the reason. No, I mean, you're right. Uh, yeah. I totally agree with uh, what you just said. And that, that's the reason why I think... If we just take a look at what records are, which is really mm-hmm. a very simple concept, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, you, if you just take a look at that, it's 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 a, a simplification of that. Because mm-hmm. you, when you're designing a business process or you're, you're writing your business logic, what you're just saying is, okay, I just need this chunk of data, maybe, I don't know, five or six fields in a record called contract or product, whatever, client. Okay. And then you are going to send that to your, I mean, virtually, of course, send that to your data data access layer, let us call it like that, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And this is the job of your data access layer to map the data that it has to the, mm-hmm. to the correct fields of the record you specified mm-hmm. as your business object mm-hmm. and to send it to you. And for, and for that, you, you just need these two elements. First, an interface. Hey, this is, this is what you need to implement. Mm-hmm. And second, the record. This is what. This is where you need to put this data so that I can consume it. Exactly. And if you do that, it me- it means that your your business uh, logic module, the, the mod- module of the modules that are carrying your business logic, are at the center of your application, uh, where they should be. <laughs> okay. And everything else depends on them, right? Mm-hmm. So if the if your data access layer changes, like for the moment you're just accessing some kind of NoSQL database. Mm-hmm plus some REST services, whatever. And it changes because 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 this is what technical stuff is about. Uh, as your business logic, you don't care. It's just a matter of changing the implementation of the interface that you that you sent, that you, mm-hmm. that you specified, actually. And you are in the exact same situation as the situation we were talking about last time, which is what you what you, you don't care about how these JDBC interfaces are, are implemented. What you only care about is the interface itself and uh, the fact that the MySQL driver or the PostgreSQL driver uh, is changing or is uh, upgrading, fixing bugs, moving from one version to the other is not your concern. You just take the jar, put it in your in your class path, reboot your application or module path, reboot your application, and that's it. Uh, and you don't even have to recompile your the, the core of your application. So that that's really the 
I think the the, the best thing, the the best way to work, actually. But this is, <laughs> I've seen so many. <laughs> you started saying we should be okay with, with writing mistakes, but I think that we should be okay to live with mistakes that were made in the past, not necessarily by you, but <laughs> that you still handle. No, but that. but with you, no promotion <laughs> of interfaces on the hexagonal architecture. I'm afraid that you yeah. know someone listen to the podcast and then I will see even more mapping layers, you know. I, I, I see just mapping in Java with you no know, recursive mapping and mappers, DTOs, mappers, and then I say everything is, you know, problematic and then introduce Lombok to make it a little bit nicer. And um <laughs> <laughs> you don't need, you know, if, if you're using records, you really don't need Lombok. No, no, uh, I, I know it. So I, at least this is what we uh, agreed on, right? So this is uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh Java records are great. As as a small excursion, because I'm, I'm really curious what you will say about my approach now. What mm-hmm. I do more and more in very specific cases, and in cases like serverless applications where you call them, they wake up and they go to sleep. So there is no yeah. no shared state or something like this. I use 80% of interface. I use, use interfaces a lot, but without implementation. So I misuse interfaces just to have static methods as functions. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, okay. This this works great, but it looks like C almost, right? But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, because this interface it just has you no know, static methods, and this is enough. And I'm uh, I know there is no instance, which is very good. I like this more than have a Java class with private constructor and to say this is just uh, never instantiate that and have then static methods. So uh, for me, it's clearer on, 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 on uh, to use an interface with static methods, and for specific cases, it works great. And what I also did recently, but um, I'm almost uh, actually uh, yesterday, a Java record with method uh, to um, from JSON, and I pass mm-hmm. a string, and it reconstructs itself. So it calls the constructor, and the construct in the constructor is uh, the you know the compact constructor. The validation happens, and I have to yeah. say I really like it because I will not change the... There's a little bit of dependency between the record and the JSON library, which I use as JSONP, which is standard. So this is not my concern because this JSONP is already more or less an interface. And uh, so I'm, I would say from in your eyes, it's a mistake because my puristic record depends on the edge, but it's very pragmatic and I don't have to create another class. You know, I'm very cautious of creating too many classes. I I I start with some. Why some, are you cautious of creating too many classes? Why? Well, yeah. Because um, I'm working in in project with uh, usually in teams, and um, and what happens then if you allow just you know the creation of classes, it is hard to name them correctly. And if you oh. work you know with external companies, so what will happen? They they an architect sooner or later will get an idea to name something after convention, and mm-hmm. and the convention is often like. Customer delegate, customer VO, customer mapper, customer entity, and customer DAO. So everything is customer. It's like, okay, uh, but I mean, uh, I would like to have like, you know, a customer validator class or, you know, a customer data access. So something which in the name reveals the purpose. And yeah. this is the, this is the reason, actually. It's not that I don't like classes. It's more like if you have, if you start dirty and spend more time naming, then it is the next class will come with higher quality. But if you start with five classes, they are usually less cohesive. So this is just the, just the experience. So right. So this is if your if your record is uh, specified on the business side, that mm-hmm. is, I am designing the business process of signing the contracts. 
And I designed an interface with the method that needs, needs to be implemented by the, the, the data access layer. And in this interface, I'm also specifying records with only the elements of data I need mm -hmm. to carry on with the process. And, and you are the implementer. I give you the record. So, and because you cannot extend it, then you will have to put your JSON mapping code or whatever. It could be XML mapping code, by the way. Yeah outside of this record because I am the one who is designing the record and I and I don't I mean if I if I do that I don't care that your your record is actually specified by a JSON object or it, or the data is coming through a JSON object but what you are XML assuming but you are always assuming that the client from my record is another java module what happens in my project the client of my record is jaxors endpoint which exposes this to json you know this is, I know yeah. where, wh why we have a different point of views because so I thinking in request response, I go deep, come back, and sometimes I'm optimizing for what is coming back because I exactly know it has to be JSON in the project. Okay. And if the assumption is wrong, everything is wrong, right? So this is this thing if the client will tell me in 10 years we have no more JSON body YAML, maybe we can adjust, but we have to think, you know, how what you can do different in YAML. Uh, in in comparison to JSON, for instance, and um, and this is maybe the difference. And how you think it is, you have a Java module, and the consumer module is also Java modules, and they are potentially two teams into modules. And this is not what happens in my projects. In my project, my one module is on a team, a small team, one pizza team, two pizza teams, mm -hmm. and uh, and uh, we are accessing something which doesn't belong to us as a database or external services, and we're exposing the data to maybe a different team for the UI or to ourselves, but even ourselves is JSON. So on the other side, we have JavaScript usually, and we have to consume the JSON objects, right? So um, yes, but in, in the end, it means that your your business module, your business code, mm -hmm. even if you're a small team, even if you're just one person, you can yeah. you can still follow this kind of pattern. I mean, it's not, it's not a matter of the size of the team. Of course, if you have big teams that are mm -hmm. one in India, another one in Europe, and another one in the US, for instance, then having really good processes for these teams. Yeah, this is important. Yeah, and my boundaries. Yeah. Even if you have just one person or two people writing your writing mm -hmm. your application, it, it would work also. It means that your 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 business code, the code that is implementing your business, now depends on implementation details. Yes. And if these implementation details change, yes, like moving from JSON to YAML or yeah. whatever. Uh, then you need to recompile and revalidate yes. all the business logic. This has a cost. Yes. Uh, one of the costs is that it, it could you could have regressions in your in your business logic where actually nothing changed changed in the, in this business yes. logic. All right. There was no no bug fixing, no yes. feature, new, no evolution of existing features. So if your if nothing changes in the in your business module, then having to launch your non regression that means that you you probably have a at least for me you have a problem in the organization of your of your yes of your so and if you know your mistakes it could be it could be good or bad right so this is this is no i see already if you were, would be my manager we spent a lot of time <laughs> you know fighting and uh no, <laughs> next time coding <laughs> I, I, I would tell you this is how you do it and you no, i'm kidding so I, then i will try you know to then i will leave the company be promoted come back to your company and become your manager it's like look no interface oh. is forbidden in my project right so we built dirty code but fast <laughs> no um 
Yeah, it's a really interesting discussion, and uh, uh, in one in one time we should we should actually go through the code and uh, try you know to dissect the code and say okay this is my point of view sure. and I say okay but, yeah this would be even more interesting, but now what's really interests me is your point of view uh, to take on data oriented programming because this is exactly this is this is exactly what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. This is exactly what you're talking about because so suppose you are writing this uh, this this code that is mapping your JSON object, which may be complex. You may have too many fields in it to fit in the records. Uh, even the record you need to to create actually depends on several different JSON objects with different informations coming from different places, and then you need to fit everything in in a, in a given record that is specified by your 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 business object. Internally, even if you are specifying the business track yourself, it's another you. Okay, uh, data oriented programming tells you, 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 your object should only carry your state. So basically, you design your records, and the only code that you should have in, in them is the validation code. Yes, you have a user record, and you need that the age is an integer, and the, this integer has to be greater than zero, probably lesser than one hundred and fifty, or something. See, you, this kind of simple. Well, they could be complex, but only only business rule. And everything else, and this is not what object-oriented programming is telling you. Object-oriented programming tells you, hey, my object should be able to write itself in some XML, JSON, YAML. It should be able to serialize itself. Uh, you see, and you, you end up having uh, objects with, with many, many responsibilities and probably responsibilities that will decay over time, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, Objects that have been designed ten years ago uh, were uh, carrying some some code to write themselves into XML documents. Now maybe this code is not used anymore, and you have only yes. uh, and you had to to add some JSON stuff in it. Okay, but because it is baked in the object, everything depends on that, and it's very hard to remove it. Because actually, if your application is big and uh, monolithic, which is most of the time the case for legacy applications, uh, it's very hard to know if this piece of code is actually executed at runtime. You can analyze your code statically and tell, okay, well, I have like 50 classes that are depending, that are actually calling this method. But the real question is, is this method actually called at runtime? And I worked on applications. Then we you have know, misunderstanding. They had to move. They, they had to move from eight to eleven. And by the way, the guys made a talk at DevOps once and they explained that. And in their application, they had maybe you remember that a Corba module. Yes. All right. Remember Corba back yes. in the days. All right. It was in the middle of the application, and this Corba module was huge. And you, because of this Corba module, they they couldn't move from eight to eleven because it was Exceptions. removed from the JDK, etc. So they had to remove this core module. Is it called at runtime? Guess what? They didn't know. And even the old developers, the old architect that were there when the application was designed in the first place, didn't know mm-hmm. 10 years after if this core module was called. So what they did is that they took their sharpened razor blade, okay, to cut this core module out of the application. Well, and it you know what you did in the past to find it out? Another dirty practice, I will tell you. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about your reaction. So uh, we ran, this was web logic back then, one, yeah. one node with code coverage, unit test code coverage, mm-hmm. uh, and we tested the entire application a few days, and then with the code coverage, we saw what was actually used. Yes, but okay, so I'm going to tell you another story. This is what we did on, a, on, a, on another legacy applications. 
So we remove new the batch, batch updates yeah. were a problem. If something runs in a once a month and you don't hit this, this is the problem. Yeah, yeah but so, sometimes it's not once a month, it's once every six months or once every six yeah. years. Yeah. Uh, six years, every year, every 12 yeah. months. And this is what happened to us. Okay. And uh, some kind of bookkeeping process that yeah. was triggered only every six months <laughs> showed yeah. up. Yeah. The code was not there. And then, fortunately, we had a good Git repo so we could. <laughs> Go back to old branches. So, okay, this all this all legacy stuff happens. Now, if you if you uh, but, but back to the record, yeah, just back to the record because um, yeah, absolutely. This is yeah, I have um, I have a Java record, and what yeah. the Java record has inside is the um, and and crypto key from from Java X crypto yeah. key, but the crypto keys they are not that usable. You need always some utility methods. Mm -hmm. So I put methods as derived attributes, you know, to get from the crypto key, my compressed, decompressed representation, whatever. And uh, so this is a, a little bit of business logic, but from my perspective, derived or derived parameters are okay on records. So, and the from JSON was not an instance method, it's a static method. So, and why mm -hmm. I put it on the record is because um, depending on the internal structure of the record, the JSON object looks different. So the JSON object and the record have to match. So um, it is maybe cleaner to have a static method from JSON where you pass a string and create a JSON object knowing the components of a record than creating another class because this class you know, has to know the record and you're repeating some code in JSON. So it is from the maintainability perspective cleaner to have a static method in the record because I immediately see which parameters, sorry, which components are in the JSON object and which not. And I have unit tests for the records for serialization, deserialization. If I will put it outside the logic, um, my record will be cleaner because it will be completely independent from JSON. But the uh, on every change of the record, I have to think about, you know, to unit test the other class to... Um, uh, to have the match. So this is just a trade-off. So it's not like, you know, I'm putting business logic on record. It's just in this particular case, I thought uh, it works good. Of course, if JSON changes, I will have to do something about that. But the pro the new projects are smaller. It's no more like, you know, we build million million of lines of code, we build more projects. So the, the trend is not you have one huge project, you have maybe five smaller projects. So this is at least my, you know, observation. So uh, it's not like I'm you know, uh, mis building business logic like crazy. This was, I thought about a lot. It was an external class and internal class and records are new, but the feeling is what I got right now. It was, it is a good decision because it's clean, less code and easy to maintain and easy to test. But of course, I'm depending now on JSON in my core business logic. And in 10 years, maybe it turns out it's a bad decision. But uh, for now, it's simpler, right? So this is always a trade-off. So this is wanted just to clarify that this is more like factory method, which is inside the record. So what I did. The, the real question is: in, in ten years, will your application still be there? But exactly. Because if you yeah. think that that is really, it yeah. will be just thrown away. Exactly. Uh, in two years, that exactly. is not the problem, really. Exactly. But the, 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 I, I have a question about that. So you're telling me that from one JSON object, you are you are creating one record. But that sometimes this record does not depend on all the fields of the JSON object and not the same fields. Does it mean that in your, in the components of your record, some of some of them are used in certain cases and not used in other cases? In, in my case, is, is, is uh, very simple. I understand. 
we have to use uh, uh, we use an object storage, and uh, the uh, records have to be serialized and deserialized. And this is almost mm -hmm. like JPA persistence. So I, I go to the records, I give me a JSON, I store this JSON, and I'm done, right? So this is this is basically it. And uh, we don't use reflection, whatever. We could use ref actually uh, what I could use Java reflection, go through the components, do it outside. So this would also work. But reflection is slow and doesn't work with uh, GraalVM, for instance, right? And we would like to have the option to... So this is the least possible magic I could come up with, and it is easy to test, And but it is a mistake. By the way, I do lots of mistakes on purpose, so it's like a trade-off, right? So, okay, it is not the puristic, <laughs> not the puristic point of view, but uh, it is better because... I, what I would like to... I think the system is maintainable. So if you will look at my code and you ask me why you did it, and I explain it, and at least you know the the explanation seems logical. I mean, there's no more to ask why. If you ask me why you did it, it's like because it's easier to test, and I show you know the I can explain it and not explain it because of decoupling, which I don't like. If someone asks ask you why you did it, because it's nicer and modular, I don't like the word modular because there is no business value in modularity. You can only have business value if you say we can maintain easier, move faster. You know we can decrease errors, or in ten years we can switch from XML to JSON. So this is business value, but who cares about modules? No one, right? Interfaces, no one. We have to provide business value and uh, do whatever is necessary to do so. So okay, I'm not. I'm not sure what you're calling. Uh, what you what you mean by uh, by records? If you're talking about Java records mm -hmm. in uh, in a Java nine sense. That, that's that's another topic. When, when Java, Java records modules, not sorry, in nine sense. Modules, modules, sorry, module, 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 module. No, 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 not if modules you, in Java nine sense. Uh, modules in, in Java package sense. So like uh, a, oh, okay. a business, business. Well, I, th I think the I, I think the value is exactly there. The maintainability. If you if you have a small application and maintainability is not an issue, it's not expensive. Whatever you do, then you can just fold your code in your, in one place and you don't care about the organization. But if it's not the case. Uh, then having good rules to, to 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 separate your your concerns in different modules and have a clean separations and clean clean boundaries between them is uh, is very important. Yeah. Yes, I mean even in small applications we have Java packages, lots of Java packages with business names, but mm -hmm. um, I have no problem depending on JSON in a JSON project. This is a trade-off. So this is, uh, mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm I don't like to have one package with one class, which is huge, right? So um, I, the, the the responsibilities are separated from business or domain perspective always. So this is the driving factor. Okay. Yeah, this is this is always the case. At least this is what I. Uh, why we are slower than usual in projects because we think about names a lot. So what is the name of the package and of the class? It has to be named. It has to yeah. fit well the domain. So this is where we spend the time, and. Uh, if I wouldn't, for instance, right, I wouldn't depend on Jackson in my record, never, because the Jackson is just implementation. JSON B or JSON P is a microprofile standard, so it's more stable. So I'm so okay, yeah. then I'm depending on it. And if no Quark, we update from Quarkus 3 to 4, then maybe it is affected. But everything else is also affected, right? So this is um, maybe. At the beginning of the project, what I try to do is to, to define what is my standard, what is okay, you know, to live with, what we can depend on. So in a puristic Oracle shop, I would say, okay, if there's added features, I use just Oracle connection directly. If this is a not Oracle shop, it's just a regular business project. JDBC is a must. There is no mm -hmm. com Oracle, whatever, it's not allowed. In a 
Microprofile project is absolutely okay, you know, to depend on microprofile interfaces. I wouldn't, you know, um, wrap an, an, an microprofile interface with another interface. So there was a huge discussion. For instance, I always used the entity manager directly in JPA. I didn't even try, you know, to wrap it just to be independent from 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 JPA, because the the idea, my idea, was always if this JPA changes in one point of time, we have a problem anyway. So because you know we are completely oh, yes. depending, <laughs> yeah, and. Um, <coughs> And um, yeah, and this is this is the thinking, and um, and uh, so and and what I, what I just noticed that the majority of projects try don't think about the business modules a lot, and they focus more on decoupling from technology. And I don't know whether it is uh, the right strategy, right? Yeah. Even if you if you have a JPM module, if you want to move from uh, Hibernate to Eclipse Link, you're in big trouble. Yeah. Yes, it's even if your interface is yeah. the same, this is the thing. There is nothing yeah. if you just switch the behaviors different. Uh, the session attachment and 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 and, and transactional behavior it's just completely different. This is, for instance, an example where you could you know encapsulate your JPA as long as you like, and uh, there is still leaky abstraction. So you you are abstracting the wrong thing because the behavior changes. No, it's 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 not, it's not even about that. It's just that uh, uh, there there are so many differences in the in, in the way things are implemented between the uh, Hibernate yeah. and the uh, Eclipse Sync, yeah. even in a database. But even yeah, JAX-RS, REST easy on Jersey. Com- yeah. Behavior is different. So mm-hmm. in, in, in Jersey, you yeah. don't have to close, you know, the response in, in, in the REST easy you have. Otherwise, uh, your application will stop. This is this is always the case. So leaky abstractions are everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Okay. But the, so so once you have view, if you go back to a data oriented programming. So should you uh, could you define very briefly what it actually is? So for our listeners, it's 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 about that. It's about considering that data on behavior is separated. Mm-hmm. Uh, object oriented programming tells you an object should be able to do things itself mm-hmm. itself. Okay, and you have inheritance. Data oriented programming tells you. Uh, your objects should only carry your data. Mm-hmm. Validation rules, because this is what makes your data safe, actually. And all the behavior uh, is not in, in, the, in the declaration of your object. Okay? Mm-hmm. And you don't have inheritance. Mm-hmm. Uh, since you don't have inheritance, inheritance is, is uh, really important, and we talked about that last time, in object-oriented programming when you're dealing with interfaces. Mm-hmm. And it's not the inheritance of behavior or, or the overriding of, of a given behavior. It's more the inheritance of type, mm-hmm. right? You have a, a JDBC driver. Its type is JDBC, okay, on the, from a macro mm-hmm. level perspective. So the, the, the type is JDBC. And you, have, you can have several JDBC drivers. It doesn't matter because it implements all the interfaces you have. Mm-hmm. And, and your code will work the same, hopefully, um, from one driver to the other. Uh, so the behavior is not is not in your in your object. So so suppose you have this uh, I don't know this uh, contract object, okay, and you have a, a first process that is about signing this contract. Uh, the reflex people would have in the, in the object oriented world uh, is to design a, a contract model object. So you have several kinds of contracts. So you have several types of contracts. Each of them will have probably different fields, common fields, but other other fields that are defined in the, in the subclasses. And then they will have uh, common business processes, maybe with some differences from one type of contract to the other. And you, you, you imagine all the object model you are going to build with that, with different methods you can call, overridance, over inheritance, overriding of methods, etc., to design that. Uh, 
So the, the object from the object uh, uh, that that's the approach from the object-oriented programming, and it has been working for years. So uh, it's mm-hmm. not that it's not working. It's also that it has a cost, right? Uh, and the cost is maintenance. We've been talking about that for, mm-hmm. <laughs> for a long time. I mean, suppose that you you rooted the XML support <laughs> or Corba classes of your product or Corba, <laughs> and then you need to get rid of it. Then you're in big trouble. Yeah. So it may never happen, and that's okay. If if you're sure it doesn't happen, then don't have any problem. Just write quick and dirty code. I throw it to the trash <laughs> after <laughs> after a while, and that that would be okay. Dump it and uh, no, and but uh, in, in serious, you say dirty code. Uh, the, the code would be clean if we assume if JSON ch- changes, we have to refactor. This is clean decision, business decision. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not a problem in itself. I mean, the the the, the problem is dirty code is that if you if is the cost of change. Okay. Yes. What is the cost exactly. of changing your code? What is it? And the cost change, if JSON changing, disappears? I mean, is, yeah. I mean, two things: fixing bugs. Uh, adding features mm-hmm. and uh, removing features. So that, that three things. Yeah. Okay. If if fixing bugs is is fine because your code is simple and it's easy to fix bugs, then that's okay. Mm-hmm. If adding features is fine because because uh, because your code is not not that complex and you're adding a feature is just a matter of adding a method in a class, that's okay also. But think about removing features because if we, if you can't remove features from your base of code you, from from your code code base, sorry, if you can't remove features. It means that in a in a <laughs> in a short term, uh, you have a process. We talked about that. We have a process to add code to your application. You don't have a process to remove code from your application. So so quite rapidly, you will end up with dead code that you will have to manage. So that that there is a cost in that. And once again, if your application is bound to be thrown away in one year, then then it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, what if you, if you ban, your argumentation is, is global. So what I what I yeah. see is uh, my record with JSON. There's only one record mm-hmm. in a larger project. Yeah. It's not like that we serialize all records to JSON. This is one specific case where mm-hmm. uh, where I need persistence in this case. No other records are persistent to JSON. I know where I'm going. It's not like you know this is like a best practice in the project and all the records are persistent. No, it's just one. So I would say yeah. I would be with you. So I wouldn't, you know, just all business records are are automatically JSON serialized. This would be terrible. So this is this this is not the case. And uh, even our we we have different Java classes, proper Java classes, because they are mutable, and there is no JSON persistence. So the JSON persistence uh, happens somewhere else. So um, yeah. So this is I wanted to clarify. Is this you? You are right. So you cannot because the next step is I, I would build a JSON persistence framework. You know, which will be in my records. And then, and then everything depends on it, and this would be a, this would be not not that good decision, right? So, so it is more like you know, as it was, it was an exception from the rule, and for that it's fine. So this is how I see this, and and if and if Jason comes or disappears, so it affects maybe two three classes, not hundreds, and this is absolutely yeah. okay from my perspective. And the code yeah, is so then dirty best the practice. It's not the same. Dirty best practice. It's not the same. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, the, so now now we understood the, a little bit because your argumentation that something b- bad happens, you said, like, what could worst case and in te- done in ten minutes in any any case is not, but it is not a general best practice to to put serialization persistence inside your business objects because if you not not know what you are doing is even worse because maybe your your objects are not unit testable, you know. 
You cannot, uh, for instance, you cannot uh, uh, create a state because the connection is missing, whatever. This is terrible. So this is the, this is the, the the problem. So the separation is a good one. Exactly. And yeah, this was just exception from the rule. Okay, it was just an exception, but yeah. I'm absolutely with you. Okay, and now and now I also know where you are going with the interfaces because in one point of time, sealed interfaces should come to our discussion, right? So this is like the long, yeah, the the the, the yeah. longest introduction to sealed interfaces in the history of Java. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure because we are the first, right? The 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 thing you need to understand is that if you don't want to put your business logic in your objects anymore, and mm -hmm. this is what data oriented programming is telling you, mm -hmm. don't do that. Uh, then you need to put it somewhere. Mm -hmm. And you need to know, suppose you have 10 different kinds of contracts mm -hmm. and it was, it was implemented in object-oriented programming world with inheritance. Now you, you have still 10 kinds of contracts, but implemented with records. So mm -hmm. you say, oh, but yes, but I have common fields in one contract or another. Okay, you leave that aside and you suppose that you do it anyway. You still have one problem to solve, which is, okay, I need to implement the process of signing a contract. Mm -hmm. And actually, I don't have one process. I have 10 different processes. Okay, so 10, <laughs> sorry. Uh, 10 different processes, one for each contract mm -hmm. that are implemented with method of evidence and, and this kind of thing. Uh, it can be very, very ugly, uh, very quickly, this kind of thing. It, it mm -hmm. can lead to very hard to understand code, very mm -hmm. hard to read and stuff because mm -hmm. it's completely you know, mm -hmm. entangled and uh, intertwined. It's, it's, it can be really terrible. But now you have a 10 contract and you need to do something. So the, the, the first approach is to say, okay, I, I have, I'm going to create a factory method because this is how data oriented programming is working. You put factory methods. And this factory method is called sign contract. It has to take a contract object as an argument. And, and then you're in trouble because you actually have 10 records to model these 10 different contracts. So the idea is to say, okay, I'm going to create an interface to I use type inheritance, which is not behavior inheritance. And use type inheritance to say, I have one contract type that is actually implemented by 10 different records. Mm -hmm. And you're not allowed to put any methods. Well, the idea is not to put any methods in, in, in this interface. This interface is just there to mark the fact that this record is actually a contract and that you can deal with it as such. Okay. It's a little. It's, it's very different from uh, what what we used to doing in. Uh, in um, uh, one question, because uh, I had yeah. uh, similar architectures before the sealed uh, sealed interfaces, and what we allowed before is like uh, batch operations. You know, so on this mm -hmm. interface, we would allow. Um, I know it makes sense. Like operation, like like default methods on collection. Sometimes, so you have a default yeah. method which, for instance, goes through the super record and. Invokes validate everything. You don't have super records because records cannot inherit. You don't have inheritance. Yeah, as, uh, yeah, there's no super type, but you cannot, I, I don't have methods. Yeah, you're right. So, uh, what I thought, you know, we, we could have mass operations on this interface, like validate everything, and we'll walk through, yeah. you know, whatever, but it doesn't make sense because then the records don't have behavior, right? So, this is, but uh, what, what, what I'm curious whether we find you know, a nice use cases to put methods on this interface for batch operations or or, or mass not not single record operation because a static uh, always implies to me is more you know a list on record super type for instance. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. So, so 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 now you have a factory method that that is taking a, a record uh, a contract type implemented by a collection of records that you have. 
and you are going to deal with it. And the, the nice thing is that this factory method is actually is not stored in the same module as your object model anymore. It's stored in, a, in your business module. So the, I, I told you that you had three problems, bug fixing, adding the features, and removing the features. Mm -hmm. If the signing of the contract is not a business requirement anymore, you can easily, very easily, remove these methods uh, where it was extremely hard to remove the behavior from your object model if you're using uh, object-oriented programming. Mm -hmm. So th this is something that, that data-oriented programming is bringing you, actually. So it means, uh, remove, removing it a feature means you would remove the record from the interface? No, you remove the... You can even... No, uh, no you remove the factory method. You remove the factory method. And the factory method doesn't depend on anything. It lives with your business module. So if your business module is not needed anymore, removing it will also remove the factory method. Yeah. But the code in the factory method in object-oriented programming is actually implemented within the, the contract objects, within mm -hmm. the contract, you know, okay. uh, hierarchy. And what you did, you have an external factory, right? So external class? It's an external factory. Okay. It's an external factory. It's external to your object model, mm -hmm. and it lives in your business module, okay. which, is, which is only logical if you, when you think about it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now how are you going and to this will be contract that? factory. That, that's the problem. Sorry? This will be contract factory. Sorry? Contract factory. Uh, signing contract factory, much much pre more precise than that. Actually. Signing contract it's, factory, it's really, and there will be other factories yeah, or just uh, one? Yeah, if you want factory per business process or maybe more. Okay. I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, because, because you want to separate the concern, you want to apply the, the single responsibility principle. And mm -hmm. this method has one responsibility, which is the signing of contracts. Mm -hmm. and that's it. If you have other processes like paying contracts, it's another factory, it's mm -hmm. another method. It could even be another business module. Okay. So once you have that, you need, you need to think about implementing that. And the nice thing when you define an abstract method in, a, in an abstract class or in an interface and you forget to implement it in a class, the compiler will tell you, hey, <laughs> this signed contract method, which is defined there, mm -hmm. you need to implement it. You create a new contract type. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, but it, it implements contract, blah, 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 or mm -hmm. it extends this abstract. You need to provide an implementation for this method. Mm -hmm. So this is nice because at runtime, you will not have any problem of, uh, of anything telling you, hey, you, you forgot to implement that and you need to fix it. <laughs> I have a missing implementation method at runtime. That's very annoying, but it will not happen because the compiler will tell you. Mm -hmm. And that, that's actually a, a safety net, right? Mm -hmm. So now, now you end up with, the, with an interface, a contract. You know that you have five, six, ten, I don't know, uh, uh, contracts, uh, records that are implementing it. And you need to define the behavior, the business behavior of signing each contract for each uh, of these concrete types, okay, mm -hmm. each records. So <laughs> you end up with a very nice if, blah, 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 if contract instance of this mm -hmm. type of contract, else if instance of blah, blah. So you, you end up with the if, else if, else if, else if, which is really ugly. We mm -hmm. all agree on that. And which is also very unsafe because if you forget to type, then you will fall in the else branch where mm -hmm. nothing is happening and you, you, have a, you have a bug in your application and you will, only, you will only detect this bug at runtime. You cannot detect it at compile time. So mm -hmm. you move to a situation where the compiler was helping you, telling you, hey, you forgot to implement this method in that object to a situation where the compiler doesn't tell you anything. So mm -hmm. it's very bad. And that's why the, 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 this, this notion of seal type uh, was defined. Because now you can, what you can do is say, this contract interface is actually a, a, a sealed interface. And the idea of a seal type is, is that it knows all its implementations. Mm -hmm. 
okay? And you're not going to use if, else, if, else, if, else, if. You're going to use switch. And that, that's the new switch that is able to switch on the types uh, of your objects. And the switch on types, if you're switching on a sealed type, then the compiler will be able to, to check if you, if you forgot a type or not. Or even if you are adding a case label with a type that is actually not an implementation of this interface. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now you have you have the, the safety you had with inheritance and the fact that you forgot the implementation of a method, of the stack method, is given back to you in, in this approach thanks to the use of seal types and switch. So you need to use both, actually, seal types and switch. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you do that, then you will switch over all the types of this stuff. Don't put a default branch. You could mm -hmm. do that, but the default branch will just be like a, an else branch in your if, that, that would be a mistake because if you add a new type, then the default branch will prevent the compiler from telling you, hey, <laughs> you need, to, you need to, to handle this type also. So don't put a default branch. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then the, this switch type is like, you know, it will tell the, hey, you, you need to be handled by this method. You don't need to put all your business logic in the switch type. You can just have method call to other factories. Mm -hmm. that, that's, that's also a possibility, especially if you're, if you're um, uh, implementation is complex, mm -hmm. but that, that that that's really the the core the core of it. And once you you have that, you have refinements. That is, instead of switching on on types directly, your case label your case labels can be uh, patterns. So you can deconstruct your records to get the the components of them directly. In the future, you will be able to uh, define your own patterns on your own regular classes, not only on, on records, to deconstruct your own classes with the possibility of having overloading and this kind of stuff. Um, so it, 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 it's something that is still a work in progress, this uh, this pattern matching. Well, this is what pattern matching is about. Mm -hmm. It's about deconstructing objects and being able to assign uh, from an object, you just deconstruct it, so you open it, and automatically you say, hey, this field or this stuff should go in this pattern variable, etc. It's about uh, initializing a set of patterns variable from an object with a, with a, in, in records, it's done automatically for you because you know that a record is built on components and you can deconstruct a record and get its components directly. But on regular classes, you don't have that. So you will need to be, to be able to, to have a syntax, to have a way to define your own uh, deconstruction patterns. And this is going to come in the, in the future. People are working on that. Currently, so we'll be able to do that. We do. And, uh, we did something similar, uh, and uh, and it was with NoSQL database, and uh, mm -hmm. it with I think we could call it data oriented programming. So I tried to explain what we did, and uh, then we can uh, agree whether it is or is not. So the problem we have with data with uh, NoSQL database is uh, there's NoSQL, and you have to search efficiently. So what usually happens is you have uh, the primary key. Com is uh, comprises two parts, and uh, the two parts are unique. So you are misusing the the uh, the second part of the key for type information or fil filtering criteria, whatever you like. So and usually we encode there the type of the class. So what it means is is the crazy part in the SQL database. Every row can be a representation of a different Java class. In our case, Java record. But the mm -hmm. amount of Java records of types is, uh, let's say, seven contracts, what we said. So, um, of course, we have a constant, like a type discriminator, so we know what comes from, from there, right? But the uh, we need a kind of a factory as well 
because so what we have to do is we say, okay, the JSON coming back from, from the database matches only specific type because, you know, some record can have more fields or less fields. This is not the, 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 yeah. the matter of the record. So what you get out of the factory, we call it store or there's no good name for it. So I don't like the store, but it's actually could be considered as a factory or deserializer. So you go there, you get the you you put the primary key and it goes to a you NoSQL database and you get a record back, actually a sealed interface. And the sealed mm-hmm. interface uh, is implemented by your servant contracts. This works, but the really cool part is now in all the other parts of the applications, we can it looks like JavaScript almost. Because uh, what we can do is we can have a method with this uh, with the uh, super contract type, how to call it the sealed interface type, just contract, blank contract, not you know signed contract, whatever, it's just contract. So now we are talking because we can use deconstruction, or uh, this is not deconstruction. Java says de, de, no, how how you call it properly? Deconstruction is JavaScript term. In Java, there is a different term, but sounds uh, people de- are talking about deconstructions of records. Yes. Ah. In JavaScript is destructuring, or in Java is deconstruction. Ah. Uh, this is this is the difference. Okay. So destructuring is JavaScript term. So I was I forgot the JavaScript term. And so now it comes. We can have a method with the um, uh, sealed interface type, a method. Let's say process. In the method, there is a switch statement, which switches on the sealed interface type. So um, because uh, this is sealed interface, it is exhaustive. So we are forced yeah. to have all cases and default, but default is more or less forbidden. So because if your default is forced through, it's a little bit problematic. But in the case statements, we can de- deconstruct. And what deconstruct means is we can say, if instance of the record, we can pick whatever variables we need for this process because you don't need everywhere everything, right? So we can have, and and mm. so, and this is, Almost like a reasonable visitor pattern, because uh, you could have multiple such processes depending what you would like to achieve, and this works great. So what I used, I started to use the uh, instance of pattern before Java twenty one for actually JSON, because if you use JSONP, you have J- you get JSON value back, and this could be JSON string or whatever. And there was always annoying with the you know, and now I could say instance of and get the right type, which was really convenient in a switch statement, for instance. And now with Java 21, we have the, the next iteration and it works particularly well with NoSQL databases, actually, because uh, because it is really ugly to deal, you know, with such a thing. But with Java records interface, it, it works really good. And it looks like JavaScript. There's almost no code. And I think it's all kind of data-oriented programming. What I'm doing with NoSQL, right? Yes, what you de- what you're describing looks. I don't I don't know exactly the how it's working, but uh, it it's it looks like data-oriented programming. Yeah. Hey, cool. So data-oriented I- programming is not a new thing. It has been there are people who wrote article about that like fifteen or twenty years ago. Oh, okay, so I it's thought not this a new okay. idea. Okay. It's, no, 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 no. <laughs> Java Java doesn't doesn't do any new thing in this kind of topic. Java is not about testing new stuff. It's about Taking stealing, stealing st- old st- stuff. Strong, right? strong, yeah, stealing old <laughs> stuff. <if> you want? <laughs> okay. Great, great artist steals, you know. Yeah, this yeah, and appreciate, right? <laughs> um, no, and, uh, and uh, if, you, if you if you want to conclude on this part, because the, what you can do, the, the the biggest difference, and this was studied by uh, by your university professor called Phil Wadler in uh, the University of Edinburgh, 
you wrote books about it. You also wrote books about functional programming a very long time ago. He's not a young man. And what he described that in object-oriented programming, as long as you don't have the, the hand on the object model, right? Mm -hmm. uh, another team is working on the object model and you can also only, only use it. You cannot, you cannot, um, you cannot modify it. Mm -hmm. it it's a, the, the nice thing with object-oriented programming is that you can create your own type by extending the existing types. Mm -hmm. But you cannot add behavior on, on the model because the, the behavior is implemented in method within the, the objects and you, cannot, you can override them but you cannot add new behavior. Mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not possible because this behavior is implemented in, in classes. You, you cannot modify it. And in data-oriented programming, what is uh, interesting is that it's the exact contrary because yeah. everything is sealed, everything is records, everything is completely uh, frozen. You, you cannot create your own types. It's mm -hmm. not possible. You, mm -hmm. you get the types, you cannot extend them, you cannot add new types, but you can add all the behavior you need and remove all the behavior you need because the behavior is in static methods that are depending on the seal types and the implementation of the seal types are defining. Because the seal types itself is defining its own implementation. Mm -hmm. So you cannot say, okay, these seal types, I'm going to add, to add one permit and add my own type in it. This is not possible. Mm -hmm. all, all the, in Java, actually, the, there is a very strong constraint, which is you, you have your sealed interface, suppose, and all the, all the, the, the types that are uh, extending these sealed, uh, these sealed types should live either in the same module if you're using the Java module system or in the same package mm -hmm. if, you're using, if you're not using it, if you're using the class path. Interestingly. So the, the constraint is very strong. You remember the uh, signal carrier uh, system I t told you? Yeah. So um, I, I was there and they tried to do it in data-oriented programming in Java, uh, Poo, mm -hmm. uh, Poo Man uh, data-oriented programming in Java back then with uh, lots of uh, value objects. They call it value object or data transfer object, actually, and uh, instance of and mappers. And uh, I actually was able to prove that this is what they would like to do is impossible from effort because the amount of classes would explode back then. And the problem they had is if a new signal carrier comes on the horizon, they had to find all the instance offs in all the projects you know, to react to the new carrier. Otherwise, it will just yeah. fall through. But this is solved with silly interfaces. So what was yeah, not, absolutely. yeah, but and, and switches and switches and switches yeah, exactly and switches. Yeah, if you do if else if else if else if you will not have this exhaustiveness. And this is the, the entire the conversation three hours what we had. The problem they had, they wanted to have not objects. They had you know a data transfer object with type, and data to find. Oh, if you are this type, I would like to behave, behave this way with instance of everywhere. And this was absolutely not maintainable and with the entire mappers. So, uh, and I said, and then we solved that with object orientation. And in this particular project, it was actually great because uh, if new type came in, we just subclassed, it came automatically from a database. What I described right now, it was the job of JPA persistence. This was on Fed client, which was a good idea back then. And so what it meant actually, we worked with live objects. So the objects were attached to the entity manager. It could be you know, modified from outside and we say commit and it was serialized to a database. So the other project with the transportation system is not that common that we get new roads, new road types. In this particular, you know, in this particular project, this data-oriented programming, even back then, would be a big win. What I remember, 
the object model was not that great. So, but the cool story is in the uh, Signal Career project, I had to work with Smalltalk developers, and they they were stellar in object-oriented modeling. You know, they 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 knew mm-hmm. that they were custom, you know, to 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 think in objects. And the other project with the transportation system, the object model was not 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 well designed. It was designed without any thinking, like at school, you know, you have, I don't know, vehicle and abstract vehicle and transport, abstract transport, just, you know, lots of classes without uh, without um, thinking about that. And the problem they had were validation rules. What happens if the transport is overloaded and, you know, it is on the wrong load? And, and this was the, the, the thing with data-oriented programming in this project, it will solve that because it would be separated. We could have different validation rules for different transport and for different roads, right? So this was interesting consideration. And um, I would say right now, most of the projects are data-oriented in, in, in the thing because I don't even have the factory. I get the data from outside and I try to serialize data from outside to map it to Java records and then I have the type, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it, it occurs. Yeah. So I, I don't even think about data-oriented programming. I'm just doing this. If there is no need for inheritance, and if it works, you are fine. You will notice that w- when you need inheritance, if you have no... I think inheritance is interesting if your persistence also supports inheritance. So it means what you get out of your persistence store without any additional manual work is already an abstract class or interface, but you get actually the subclass with different behavior. This is perfect. And if you have to do it by yourself, forget it. So then this is maybe, you know, the, the remaining part where I think the object-oriented programming has its parts. But um, yeah, data-oriented programming is very important. What I also miss, but is coming, um, how to call it, not mutable records, but there is there should be a possibility to create a new record from old one, right? Instance. Yeah. The, this, this is coming, actually. This is called yeah, exactly. uh, Withers. And say, okay, I would like this record with this field or with exactly. this stuff, and then it will create another record. Just like in functional programming, by the way. Uh, you, mm-hmm. In functional programming, everything is uh, immutable by design. Yeah. So when you want to mutate something, like a list, something, or a map, actually don't mutate it. What you get is a copy of the previous one. And mm-hmm. Internally, there is this super, super smart uh, implementation that actually doesn't duplicate your structure in memory. Just yeah, yeah, I like the immutable collections back then, right? That yeah, was the, or immutable okay. um, maps. It, uh, it's really amazing to see how this is working. I hope we covered now data-oriented programming, <laughs> and uh, and uh, it's really interesting. Since we talked about it, <laughs> yeah, and I know why we mis- misunderstood us the last time with interfaces because if I see interfaces, I see the misuse. I see in projects where they just this is um, not an object-oriented way. They have something, and they, you know, they just put an interface in one implementation. But what we talk today is like types. So we introduce interfaces yeah. to have types, and we seal the type to have exhaustive switch statements. So the compiler will be our friend. So this is th- this is the entire yeah. thing, right? The compiler should always be your friend. If you yeah, see we have to tell it tell it to JavaScript it's, developers. It's a, it works with with switch statement, but also with switch expression. Now you can mm-hmm. the switch is both a statement and an expression. Ah. So you I can always have expression. I forgot to 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 to. Um, so my new new switch statements is eighty percent of cases expression. Why? Because if you get you know the the record uh, in the switch statement and you and you 
yeah. and you uh, pull some variables, deconstruct the record, you usually create a new one, and the new, new one is immediately returned, for instance, from the from the switch expression. So it's always about expressions. Exactly. exactly. It's almost like a view projection almost, right? Wouldn't it be projection? So it's actually projection what happens. So one record in, data mingling, and, and, and another out. Uh, projection will be without business logic, right? Uh, mapping, adaptation, adaptation I don't yeah. know. Projection. Mm. Okay. Projection is a, is, a, is a weird name to use in this context, I think. Mm -hmm. I think. Uh, the last question, uh, which has nothing to do oh. with uh, data programming, but you have a nice French car. It's called the Duck. Is it also called the Duck in French? It's like the Peugeot, so an old one for, from uh, Louis Define, you know, it was his car. Oh. Which it looks like a. So in German, we call it Duck to it. So it's like a Citroën V2. It's a classic car, an old one. Oh, the, the, this old this old car that was completely dismantled in the first scene of a yeah yeah exactly a, okay. Is it also we, called we duck? Call the, no, in in French it's called the uh, la deux chevaux, which means two horses, literally. Ah, what what translation? And because because the it was two horsepower, it ah. was very small engine in it. Almost an engine for a bicycle, actually. Okay. But the car was so light that it was working. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh yes, this car is actually a legend. Yeah, yeah, I know it. <laughs> it so was uh... it was designed in a, in a, in the thirties for for the army. Mm -hmm. It was it was it was designed from the ground up to be able to 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 drive in fields and. Uh, like a French hammer, right? So it was like the this dot, is the dot, dot path, you know, not 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 necessarily on roads. And it it was it was built until the the seventies, I think, or something. There's even a James Bond movie with a with a car car chase. Okay. James, James Bond is is driving such a car, which which is amazing because it's okay. That's cool. Then that that would drive at like fifty or sixty kilometers per hour maximum. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is what I ask engine. about, you know, the highway uh, speeds uh, limits. Whether it was about you know the duck car, but I didn't knew mm -hmm. whether you will understand me. So it's okay. I will wait wait until the end. Yes, but I see. I see what you mean. It's a, oh yes, this car. Actually, actually, if you own one. The mm -hmm. real one, then you're probably rich because it's a, it, oh. people are collecting this kind of car now, and uh, it's uh, quite precious. <laughs> okay, cool. So uh, on that I note, I think we covered everything now, I can right? Tell you, it was so uncomfortable. <laughs> but I think the you know how to call it the suspension looked good actually in the car. It was very yeah. uh, very soft, right? Very soft because it was it was supposed to be able to to to, to drive in in dirt roads and the fields and the, this kind of thing. So the suspension had to manage that. Yes. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> so um, very wild car in our standards. <laughs> thank you a lot. And uh, where people can find you um, on the Java new, news, uh, Java Dev YouTube channel, and whatever you have. Yeah, exactly. Well, well, if you if you check the the Java YouTube channel, mm -hmm. YouTube.com/slash/java, you'll mm -hmm. find a lot of content by uh, Nikolai, by uh, uh, Billy Corando, Nikolai Parlog, mm -hmm. Billy Corando, uh, Anna Maria, mm -hmm. myself, and of course other people. We publish content there quite regularly. There are different series, different programs, different length of mm -hmm. videos that you can check. I, okay. I have a, a series of shorts that is one minute video. So if you really don't really don't have the time. <laughs> maybe and one will come with data rated programming in one minute. So you have to speak fast. We we, we have we, we have quite a lot of content on data oriented programming, okay. syntax, etc. Yes. Uh, uh, Nicolai did that. I the challenge that. to you is explain it in one minute. Uh okay. 
Okay, challenge. I, I think I can do that. Okay, perfect. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's a simple concept. When you think about it, it's a simple concept. Yeah, it is. Types, immutable data types, the records, this well, and switch expressions and pattern matching. Yeah. That. This would be cool. So it's, um, it, it relies on, uh, on these features. And, uh, it's amazing because you could see each feature individually, but they actually fit together in, in a much yes. bigger picture. So taking a step back and having this, this big picture is uh, actually, there's much more value in understanding that in that way than just seeing them as separate features and that you can use one by one to uh, write better code. It's, Perfect. It's not just about adding syntactic sugar to the, to the Java language. It's also about uh, implementing a new, new approach to design your applications. Then thank you a lot. And uh, thank you. See you next time. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you, Adam. See you.